And now I'm pleased to introduce this afternoon's guest speaker. We should all feel safe and secure knowing that the Minister of National Defense is in our midst, although he may be a bit sleep deprived from his new responsibilities as a father. Since 2007, the Honorable Peter McKay has been the Minister of National Defense, a role that was renewed after the 2011 Federal Conservative Party election victory. As Minister, Mr. McKay leads Canada's defense here at home and our defense interests around the world. In the role, the ministers traveled extensively. Europe, Asia, Afghanistan have been among his points of call. Prior to his current title, Mr. McKay served as the foreign uh, as Minister of Foreign Affairs, Minister of the Atlantic Canada Opportunities Agency, and was Minister for the Atlantic Gateway. He was first elected as a Member of Parliament in 1997. He has been re-elected in his Northern Nova Scotia constituency five times. Ten years ago, the Minister was elected Leader of the Progressive Conservative Party of Canada. In 2004, following the unification of the Progressive Conservative Party and the Canadian Alliance Party, he was named Deputy Leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. The Nova Scotia native graduated from Acadia University with an arts degree in 1987. He went on to study law at Dalhousie University and was called to the Nova Scotia Bar in 1991. He then returned to his hometown of New Glasgow to open a private law practice specializing in criminal and family law. In 1993, he accepted an appointment as Crown Attorney for the Central Region of Nova Scotia. It may interest you to know that in addition to his national defense role, Mr. McKay also serves as regional minister for Nova Scotia. Before I relinquish the podium to him, I want to let our live audience know that the minister has graciously agreed to take a few questions from you after his speech. And now, Minister McKay, the Canadian Club podium, Canada's podium of record, is yours. Thank you very much, Gordon and uh, Lynn and all of the Board of Directors of the Canadian Club of Toronto. I'm, uh, I'm delighted to be with you, and I want to acknowledge some of my former colleagues from the Senate, uh, Senator Condonino, Senator Vim Kosher, who are with us. Uh, I see a lot of familiar faces here today uh, that give me a very warm feeling uh, and a very warm welcome here in Toronto. I would as well acknowledge our veterans, our serving members of the Canadian Forces, possible cadets who are with us, and our students who are joining us as well. I hope that there will be some educational value to what I'm about to say. And Gordon, I, uh, I noted in your introduction that you referenced um, that I'm a new father, a new parent. And being a new parent is a little bit like being Minister of National Defense. I'll tell you why. Not a lot of sleep, often a lot of crying and screaming, and you're up to your elbows in somebody else's mess. <laughs> But I thank you very much, and, and a warm good morning to you. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to engage with you today uh, to talk about some of the important issues, some of the important uh, historic events that are happening in our country and around the world, uh, and the involvement of the Canadian Forces. I want to speak to you a little bit about our outstanding Canadian Forces, who I view truly as our finest citizens. And many of those citizens are with us here today, including Brigadier General Omar Lavoie, who is our commander, uh, of Land Forces Central, uh, an Afghanistan veteran himself, uh, a distinguished combat record, and sir, I'm very honored to be with you here today and all our members, our serving members. So let's thank them again, please. 
And you know, another little bit of history, this may be the first time that I've come to Toronto in a while where they've had a winning record for the Maple Leafs. <laughs> in fact, maybe there's people in this room that this is the first time in their life they've seen a winning record. I, uh, I really shouldn't say that. Uh, we took some members, uh, former members of the NHL, including Tiger Williams, uh, people like uh, the late, great Bob Probert, uh, Stu Grimson, a fellow named Chris Knuckles Nyland, uh, so the real finesse players, uh, to Afghanistan. And I can tell you, the, the soldiers loved it. It was an opportunity for them to meet some of their, their heroes. We brought the Stanley Cup, uh, and this has occurred on a number of occasions, but there was one trip that, uh, that I remember vividly. I was there with the former Chief of Defense Staff, Rick Hillier. And General Hillier, we, we'd gone on separate aircraft, was introducing me on the tarmac to these players as they were coming off the plane. And uh, so I was, I was thrilled. I, I felt much like the soldiers in awe of guys like Tiger Williams. And when uh, Chris Nyland walked up to me, General Hillier said, Chris, have you met the minister? And Nyland put his hand out and said, uh, hello, father. <laughs> now, my grandmother probably would have preferred that I was that kind of minister. I know that we're, uh, we're gathering here today at an auspicious time. Uh, a unique time, and I truly appreciate uh, the Canadian Club's invitation. It's a time of high hopes uh, in the face of tough and tragic times as well. Uh, as we gather here, I think our thoughts, it's fair to say on a very serious note, are uh, with our neighbours to the south. Uh, our thoughts, our prayers are, are with the victims and the families of what took place in Boston, uh, as well as communities in and around West Texas uh, for their loss and suffering. Uh, it's a time of, of admiration and respect as well for our emergency service providers, uh, a reminder of those courageous few who are running into the tragedy and running into the emergency while others are fleeing. And I come here today as well at a historic and important time for the Canadian Forces. As I was entering the building, uh, I note that just a short walk, just a few minutes from here, the 48th Highlanders Museum at St. Andrew's Church on Simcoe uh, is a strong reminder of this city's historic connection to the Canadian Armed Forces. The 48th Highland Regiment is a reserve unit, an infantry regiment located in the heart of this city. Since its formation in 1891, its members have served in every major, sea, major overseas conflict since the Boer War. That is an impressive military record of service and sacrifice by any measure. The regiment and its personnel have consistently come to the aid of Canadians and our allies at home and abroad. And almost 50 battle honours have been bestowed upon this regiment that speak to their expeditionary excellence. And with their contributions in the Balkans, Africa, Afghanistan more recently, the regiment now has more operational experience than at any time since the end of the Second World War. And I dwell on this point to remind us all that we have combat veterans in this country as young as 19 years old. This is a time of active service in the Canadian Armed Forces again. The level of operational experience among our Canadian Forces members today is strikingly impressive. When you remember that up to 25 or 30 percent of those who serve are reservists. They take on this responsibility over and above their day jobs, what they do in their other pursuits. 
But make no mistake about it, in addition to their professional, dedicated soldiering, they are full-time contributing members of your community. And I highlight these men and women because they illustrate how the Canadian Armed Forces are woven into the very fabric of our nation. The story of the 48th Highland Regiment is replicated at bases and wings and communities in every corner of Canada. They are an example of the numerous Canadians that are prepared day in, day out, to step up and do what's needed, to leave the comforts of their home and their day-to-day -day routine to assist in operations wherever and whenever they are required. They bring unquestionable strength and resilience to our country. They are our friends, our neighbors, and our colleagues. And they are, in fact, the unsung heroes who make our communities, our country, and the world a better place. And that's why we have done all that we can to protect them in their employment and place of work, with provinces and territories passing legislation, work with their employers to protect them when, uh, when these serving men and women come home. The history of our reservists as well, the heritage, the traditions, enrich our identity as Canadians. When I was last with you, and, and Gordon reminded me, when I was last here in 2009, you had awarded the very significant and prestigious Canadian Armed Forces with the Canadian of the Year Award. And I want to tell you that that award hangs in the hallways of D&D headquarters in Ottawa for all to see. With that award, you formally recognized our men and women in uniform for representing the very best of our nation. And it's my pleasure to be back with you today to tell you a little bit more about what the government is doing to support these tremendous Canadians. I'm proud to say that since 2006, our government has embarked on a decade of delivery for the Canadian Armed Forces, delivering the equipment, the infrastructure, and the personnel support that our men and women in uniform need and deserve. We've increased defense spending by approximately one-third since 2006 and invested in all of the military's critical capabilities across the country, like strategic tactical airlift for the Royal Canadian Air Force, purchasing Chinook helicopters, C-17, C-30, heavy transport, Leopard 2 tanks, upgraded light-armored vehicles for the Canadian Army, and modernized ships for the Royal Canadian Navy. I'm also very proud that we have initiated a historic recapitalization effort for the Royal Canadian Navy through the National Shipbuilding Procurement Strategy, which will see the entire fleet of the Canadian Royal, Royal Canadian Navy replaced frigates, supply ships, and new capabilities like our Arctic patrol vessels. We're also investing in the capabilities of the future, capabilities like Sapphire, Canada's first ever dedicated military satellite, which was launched just two months ago. And at the same time, we're improving infrastructure and critical military installations across the country. For example, just north of here, we invested over $290 million in CFB Borden, the very first home of the Royal Canadian Air Force. It's a base that serves as a key training ground for our troops today. And with that money, we're renovating housing units, building new training facilities, improving the training equipment, and upgrading security systems. And we're doing this at Trenton, at Petawawa, and at every base in the country. But ladies and gentlemen, these investments in equipment and infrastructure are clearly only part of the picture. 
We all know that people, our personnel, are at the very center of the Canadian Armed Forces success. Our most treasured resource is the human one. And these people, these proud Canadians, endure significant hardship, give significant sacrifice as a result of the uniform they wear, as do their families. And this is why we've increased the military mental health budget by over $100 million to an annual budget of $450 million. We've increased support to our military families by 25%. And I must say here, the military family resource centers provide invaluable service across the country today in support of military families and their, their children in particular, and all of the support that's there when soldiers on are on deployed operations. Indeed, I personally reallocated an additional $11.4 million just last fall from our defense budget specifically for mental health issues and treatment in the Canadian Forces today. And there has been a much more mature and open discussion that has been happening about the subject of post-traumatic stress or operational stress. And we have dedicated health professionals who are there to treat those who are returning from combat with invisible injuries, but just as debilitating those injuries. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention the incredible work of our military chaplains and the support, the spiritual support, that they provide our troops today. Ladies and gentlemen, this is obviously not only a government that is investing in equipment and infrastructure and personnel, but we're also celebrating significantly the proud accomplishments of our men and women in uniform across this country. Through a host of initiatives, we commemorated the 200th anniversary of the War of 1812. Much of that history happened not far from here, much of it in this city. We did so to remember the significant contributions of those who fought to make the country what it is today and to celebrate how they shaped who we are as a nation. I would argue that we were a military before we were a nation. We had men and women willing to die for the cause to protect our country before Confederation. In fact, it was at Fort York, and I've been there numerous times over the past number of years, where they commemorated battles that took place right here in this city where we sit today. We also restored the historic designations of the Royal Canadian Air Force and the Royal Canadian Navy and the Canadian Army. The uniforms and insignias and designations reflect that history. These were the names under which our servicemen and women fought and died in the First and Second World War and in Korea, marking 60 years this, this year, the Korean conflict. And we had proud members of the Canadian forces with us retired veterans with us in Ottawa just this week to formally recognize their contributions of what have been shamefully described as the forgotten war. We are not forgetting that contribution and it's wonderful to have Korean veterans with us here today. We also recognize Bomber Command which was again I believe a historic oversight for the incredible contributions that members of the Royal Canadian Air Force made during the Second World War. These were names royal designations under which our men and women defended Europe and North America in the early days of the Cold War, served on numerous peace-building operations around the world, from the muddy fields of Europe to the dusty plains of Afghanistan, Canadians have given their all and stood tall for peace, security, human rights, 
justice, freedom, all the things that we enjoy today. And so by reviving these historic names, we pay tribute to the nation's proud military history and contributions. We brought the service names back in line with those of our Commonwealth partners, reconnecting and perpetuating forward the true history. And I'm pleased to announce here today that we're continuing this effort by restoring the historic designation of a number of corps within the Canadian Army, specifically the Royal Canadian Armoured Corps, the Corps of the Royal Canadian Engineers, the Royal Canadian Corps of Signals, the Royal Canadian Infantry Corps, and the Corps of Royal Canadian Electrical and Mechanical Engineers. Now let's have a hand. We're also changing the title of the Canadian Army Military Police Group to better reflect the restoration of the Canadian Army designation. We do all of this out of respect and admiration. Je suis heureux de vous annoncer aujourd'hui que nous poursuivons sur cette voie un rétablissement les anciens appellations de bon nombre de cours au sein de l'armée canadienne, plus spécialement le Corps Blendé Royal Canadien, le Corps du Génie Royal Canadien, le Corps Royal Canadien de Transmission, le Corps d'Infanterie Royal Canadien, le Corps Royal Canadien des Ingénieurs, Électriciens et Mécaniciens. Nous changerons également le titre de Corps de Police Militaire aux l'Armée Canadienne afin qu'il s'harmonise mieux avec les rétablissements, les appellations de l'Armée Canadienne. Le rétablissement de cette appellation est une mesure, une mesure importante pour permettre aux militaires d'aujourd'hui de renouer avec les glorieuses histoires et les fières traditions dont ils ont les hérités à titre de membres de l'armée canadienne. And friends, if I could just take a minute, Gordon has already done so, but I, I'd also like to acknowledge uh, the special group that's here with us in our midst those who had served our nation as part of those regiments that I've just named. Could the following individuals once again please, please remain seated because I'm, I'm going to do this in reverse. We often ask our veterans to stand. I'm going to announce their names. Mrs. Margaret Hamilton, Halliburton, excuse me, a World War II veteran of the Royal Canadian Navy. Mr. Jerry O'Prey, peacekeeping veteran, missions to places like the Congo. Mrs. Alexandra Hackett, a British veteran with us here, Mr. Bob Farkerson, World War II veteran, RCAF. Mr. Sid Gladstone, Mr. Gladstone I've had a great uh, conversation with here. Leslie, uh, Lieutenant Ashley Beatty and Lieutenant Commander Albert Wong. Please everyone else stand up and show your appreciation. to stop clapping for these great Canadians. I've just noticed we have Honorary Krill Bata with us here today. Wonderful to see you, ma'am. Thank you. And uh, as well, someone who has served in another way, and that is 
our former Justice Minister, Doug Lewis. It's wonderful to see you here, sir. We, uh, we all benefit from a stronger and, uh, and more capable military that serves our country at home and abroad. And I was speaking as well over lunch with, uh, with Gordon and uh, with Captain uh, Mort uh, Feinstone, who's, who's with us here, um, about the contributions that we've made in places like Afghanistan. And I think there was an awakening of our country, in particular during the combat mission, when we saw that very stark image of a Canadian soldier returning in a flag-draped coffin. It stirred memories, I'm sure, for many Canadians. But for new Canadians, for a younger generation, this was truly a wake-up for what's at stake and what service through the Canadian Armed Forces can mean for your family. And there will be debate well into the future about the mission in Afghanistan. But let me tell you for a moment and connect, if I can, why we lost those soldiers and why soldiers were prepared to put aside their life, their love, their all they had to serve in a place like Afghanistan. There are over 7 million more children in school in Afghanistan today. A third of them are girls. Somebody said to me, give me one reason to go. But let me go further. There are communities now that have an economy that is based on something other than poppy used for heroin sent to our shores. They have running water from the Dalla Dam that Canada and other countries helped build to sustain that agricultural society so they can grow beets and barley and Canadian wheat in their fields. There are more women proportionately sitting in the parliament of Afghanistan today than can be found in Canadian parliament. There are immunization programs that have preserved the lives of children. Schools and hospitals that were constructed to give them hope, to give them a chance, to give them time. And now as the mission continues and has transitioned to a training mission, we're helping them build the security capacity to do what Canada and other allies have done for them. Protect their communities. Preserve their future. Give them that hope that was just simply not there. And so there is a, a direct correlation to the sacrifice that we saw during that combat mission. And it has to be preserved. It's fragile. There is no guarantees. But Canadians can be proud and are rightly proud of what was accomplished in our country's name. And that flash, that badge on the shoulder of a Canadian soldier means something. It brings smiles to the faces of a whole generation of Afghans. That again is something that we are deeply grateful for in the service of our men and women in uniform. And so, as in previous generations, they work hard every day to uphold the proud place of military history in Canadian society. But what does all this effort and investment mean for Canadians? What are the practical implications? Well, above all else, it means that Canadian Armed Forces can effectively defend Canada and serve Canadians today and well into our future. More than pull our weight and punch above it in today's world. 
Maybe you read about two Port Alice brothers who recently got stranded while beachcombing on the west coast of Vancouver Island last month. Thanks to a Cormoran crew from 442 Squadron in Comox, as well as their search and rescue partners, these two men were saved. And I could cite countless other examples, because there are thousands every year who rely on our search and rescue technicians, who are among the best of the elite in the Canadian Forces, like JTF2. In March alone, our search and rescue crews responded to 43 calls for help, and in some of the most remote parts of the country, calls to the high north, where our SARTEX routinely jump out of the back of aircraft into freezing temperatures, go into avalanche zones, putting their lives at risk daily. Or I could speak about the 120 Canadian Armed Forces members, including Rangers, who have deployed to Operation Nunavut right now in the high north. This is one of the three Arctic sovereignty operations that take place every year in the Canadian north. In coordination with federal and territorial partners, we're preparing and continuing to ensure we have a hold on our Arctic. Over the course of this operation, which runs until the end of the month, these members will cover some 600 kilometers of northern terrain. They will assert Canada's Arctic sovereignty and they will prove their ability to each other and to their communities to respond to any situation in this vast and rugged and expansive part of our country. Or as I referenced earlier, think for a moment about the over 900 Canadian Forces members deployed today in and around Kabul in northern Afghanistan. These are men and women who are empowering the Afghan National Security Forces to take hold of their own future. And they're making meaningful progress. The numbers don't tell the full story, but there are now over 350,000 Af Afghan National Security Forces, Army and Police, many trained by Canadian Forces members. By the end of 2012, 91% of all training is being delivered by the Afghans themselves. And 84% of military operations in that country are Afghan-led. As was the second, Canada was the second largest contributor to NATO's training mission. Much of this progress was secured by Canadians. Or North Africa, where, once again, we saw the utility of these investments. A new C-17 Globemaster aircraft helped to deliver much-needed personnel and supplies to Mali in support of the French operation there. By the end of March, Canadian Forces Air Force had transported over 1,500,000 kilograms of cargo. Or the HMCS Toronto, our Navy ship that bears this city's name, which is deployed in the Arabian Sea today as part of an international task force. It's helping to keep vital shipping lanes safe for legitimate merchant activity while deterring criminal and terrorist activities in the region. You may have seen this ship on the news recently. Over Easter weekend, the ship's captain and crew boarded a suspected vessel and seized approximately 500 kilograms of heroin destined for North America, one of the largest heroin seizures in the history. Ladies and gentlemen, I could go on and cite numerous examples that happen daily, that happen around the planet by our men and women in uniform. There are many examples of how Canadian Armed Forces are serving here in Canada right now, like our SARTECs, both at home and abroad. 
Captain Lightstone reminded me of another important fact that I, I had not heard. In the First World War, the first 50 Canadians to ever deploy to the front were Canadian nurses. And so I'm proud of the fact that in the Canadian forces today, we have complete integration. Men and women have the opportunity and the ability to serve in any post, including one day, I predict, as Chief of Defence Staff of the Canadian Forces. Other countries look to Canada for our example. From submariners to fighter pilots, men and women serve side by side, shoulder to shoulder, on equal footing. And so, what I want to drive home is that through our investments in the Canadian Forces, we're investing in the safety of our people, of our citizens, the sovereignty of this nation, and peace and security abroad. And at the same time, these investments pay real dividends for those from the business world joining us here today. There are enormous benefits to the Canadian economy, to Canadian communities, for Canadian jobs. I had the opportunity to speak at the Economic Club in, in Ottawa last month and spoke about our, how our defence spending serves as an economic driver for the country today. As much as I feel emotion and passion for what the Canadian Forces personnel do, you can't ignore the fact that while we have the largest operational budget in the federal government, we are making substantial investments in industries here in Canada. In fact, for the fiscal year 2012-13, our spending authorities were $4.1 billion for capital expenditures and $6.4 billion for operational and maintenance. This is substantial responsibility and substantial investment that maximizes the impact of every defense dollar and how it's spent, not only on the Canadian forces themselves, but on the Canadian economy. And we need to generate competitive opportunities for Canadian industry and create high-valued, skilled jobs for Canadians. The National Shipbuilding Procurement Strategy is a great example of how we're doing that. CADC has estimated that the government shipbuilding projects will directly and indirectly contribute more than $2 billion in annual economic benefits and create some 15,000 jobs over the next 30 years. So for you young folks, this is all good news. High-tech jobs that are going to be there for you when you graduate. The work that is involved will be spread over a whole spectrum of sectors right across all regions of Canada, not just shipbuilding. Or the Light Armoured Vehicle 3, the LAV 3 as it's known, upgrade project closer to home. General Dynamics Land System based in London, Ontario was awarded a prime contract of $1 billion. And through the Industrial and Regional Benefits Policy, they're taking advantage of some 500 Canadian suppliers sustaining jobs again right here in Ontario. And to ensure that our defence industry stay ahead of the curve, the remaining competitive and remain competitive in the future, my colleague at Industry Canada, Minister Christian Paradis, is leading a program to support strategic research and development in the aerospace and defence sectors. All of this helps Canadian companies become more innovative and competitive. The government underscored this commitment in the recent budget, Economic Action Plan 2013, when Minister Flaherty announced that we will be continuing to provide stable funding at close to $1 billion over five years with this initiative. And before I close, I want to mention one other outstanding uh, achievement that I, I would really like to, uh, to underscore. And it's part of the, the steadfast commitment to rebuild the Canadian Armed Forces. 
while creating a stronger, safer, more prosperous country. But I know that at the end of the day, uh, none of this would be possible without those brave Canadians who don the uniform. And I've been Minister of National Defence for almost six years. Uh, I must say that I continue to be impressed daily by the calibre and the commitment and the professionalism of those who serve. And I have a unique and privileged vantage point from which to see their achievements. But there's two men here in particular that I want to highlight for you today. Master Corporal Chris Downey and Corporal Alexander Baudin d'Anjou. Both of these men deployed as part of our combat mission to Afghanistan and both tragically were caught in catastrophic IED blasts sustaining severe injuries that will plague them for the rest of their lives. But today these two men are participant in the Canadian Armed Forces Soldier On program, a program that was supported heavily in this, uh, this city uh, at the Garrison Ball and on other occasions. And it's a program that helps ill and injured personnel accept their new normal by motivating them to return to healthy and active lifestyles. But these two men are far from normal. They're extraordinary. They will be participating in one of the most high-profile expeditions of modern times. Together with wounded warriors from the United Kingdom, the US, and Australia, and including His Royal Highness Prince Harry as their patron, they will form three teams that will race to the South Pole next winter. It's an extraordinary event. The South Pole Allied Challenge, which is being organized by a UK-based uh, charity called Walking with the Wounded, will showcase the extraordinary strength and resilience of these individuals. It will prove that injured servicemen and women continue to do great things and continue to inspire and it will remind the public of those who help and support our country that we owe them the same. The Government of Canada, the Department of National Defence, the Canadian Armed Forces, our Veterans Affairs Department is proud to be participants in this event. We're also grateful to Prince Harry uh, and the Walking with the Wounded Organization for leading this admirable cause. We're grateful to all the Canadians who show their support for the men and women in uniform. And you know, I've not seen it in my lifetime as much as in the past few years, where Red Fridays, Yellow Ribbon campaigns, the Highway of Heroes, sports and communications, uh, appreciation nights, uh, these are all very organic, very genuine demonstrations of appreciation and affection and love of the Canadian Armed Forces. And we can never lose that. We can never go back. We have to keep that momentum moving for our country, for our soldiers, for their families, because it's the very backbone of our country to just say thank you. And so don't leave this gathering today without having the opportunity to shake the hand of one of our veterans here, to pat them on the back, to tell them how much you appreciate what they do. That's happening like never before across this country. I don't think that our soldiers ever pay for Tim Horton's coffee anymore. And that's a good thing, as my niece would say. That's a good thing. And so we're grateful to all these Canadians who show this support. And I know that here in Toronto, you raised thousands of dollars for worthy military causes in a variety of events that happen across, uh, across this city. 
I know uh, General Tom Lawson was here very recently uh, for a run in support of St. John's Rehab, which is part of Sunnybrook Health Services Center, uh, where the medical staff uh, work so closely with medical doctors and, and work with our wounded warriors. And so in conclusion, ladies and gentlemen, I started my remarks by talking about the Regimental Museum just across the street, a few blocks from here. And allow me to close with another image from your great city. Soldiers Tower on the University of Toronto campus commemorates the university members that fought and died in two world wars. In the tower's memorial room, there's a stained glass window that depicts the men and women who served. In the middle of that window is a simple Canadian maple leaf that surges from the fray, radiates in the summer sky. It's meant to represent the emergence of Canada as a nation devoted to freedom, peace, understanding, and justice. And I think this powerful image represents the intricate relationship that exists between the strength of the military and the strength of this nation. There's a similar symbol in the Peace Tower in Ottawa, in the center block, where contained in the pages of the Book of Remembrance are the names of over 100,000 Canadians who gave their lives in service of this country. Each day, they turn that page and display the names of those who are recorded there. These symbols of remembrance, these traditions of respect, matter. And as we continue to move forward, I think that we continue to witness the symbiotic relationship, one in which a secure Canadian and a Canadian prosperity and a Canadian identity and a secure country that we love all work together. I thank you again for the invitation and for your kind attention. Merci beaucoup. Minister uh, McKay, thank you, and thank you for graciously uh, offering to take a couple of questions. As with any question and answer period, two small rules. Um, if you'd like to answer, uh, ask a question, please raise your hand. One of the volunteers will come to you with a microphone. And secondly, please remember to phrase your question as a question as you would if you were writing it down. So any questions? So we have one right back there. Minister Flaherty, is this on or not? Um, my name is Bart McDougall, and I'm an ex-cadet of the Royal Military College. And uh, if I'm permitted a comment before I get to my question, I would like to draw attention to an organization called True Patriots Love. And uh, I'm very impressed by that initiative, and I think everybody in this room would be interested to know more about it. Uh, it's, a, it's a foundation set up to fund the, the veterans and families uh, of our armed forces. My question uh, is related to RMC, and I just wondered what uh, uh, role RMC has going forward. Uh, there was an article recently in the Globe and Mail which suggested that there were some serious cuts uh, to the budget for uh, our military college, and I wondered whether you could comment on those cuts and how it would uh, affect the college going forward. Thanks very much for the question, Bart, and uh, I agree. True Patriot Love do extraordinary work in support of our military, military families, our wounded warriors, as does Canada Company, uh, and many other organizations now that are, are committed uh, 
to supporting our, our men and women in uniform. With respect to RMC, the Royal Military College has expanded under our government, uh, and we have stood up, as you probably know, the College Royal Militaire in uh, Saint-Jean-sur-Richelieu, so we've added or returned to the academic uh, training of our, our troops uh, the francophone component that was previously there. We are uh, seeing now a, a period of slower growth in the country, and that is reflected across all departments within the government. The Canadian Forces are no exception, although the Department of National Defense has received unprecedented support in the last six years. We've seen our budget grow exponentially compared to others, and we have within the Canada First Defense Strategy, as you may know, a, a clause that will continue to see the growth of the Canadian Forces budget. So there is no going back. At RMC, we've again grown the, the size of that, uh, that great facility. We have in General Tom Lawson, the Chief of Defense Staff, the, the former um, uh, professor, leader of that institution. Uh, so believe me when I say that the future of RMC is very bright. I'm the Chancellor by virtue of being the Minister of National Defense. We have nothing but plans to continue to grow and support RMC. And uh, as an ex-cadet, I'm sure that that's music to your ears. It is one of the finest, in my, in my view, one of the finest education facilities that we have, specific to the military and unique in that it is the only federally funded university, as you know, except for all the transfer payments that we send to the provinces. I think we have... Yes, I'm, I'm talking about my beloved North. The, the defense we have in the North is minimal. And that worries me, especially now that the Arctic is opening up with the melting of the ice. And uh, I know that we have, if you look at a map of military institutions all along the U.S. border, thick. Up North, hardly anything. Now, I know living up North is hard, but being a soldier is not supposed to be comfortable. And uh, I am worried about the fact that we neglect our northern defenses enormously. The rangers that uh, do a marvelous job are provincially operated, and, it's almost on, and it is on a volunteer basis. They get very little training. They, they really don't have the equipment necessary to do anything about an invasion. And why don't we do more about co uh, uh, protecting our north and putting more bases up there? So it's not comfortable living. Okay, you didn't join the army for that. It's a very good point. Uh, when it comes to protecting Canada's Arctic sovereignty, uh, we've made this a priority, and it, it will take more time and effort. You're absolutely right. Uh, we're putting in place a deep water refueling station that will work in concert with our new Arctic patrol vessels uh, when they're launched. We are, of course, building an icebreaker, as you know, to deal with the changing ice and, uh, and moving ice that is found throughout much of the Arctic waters. We are doing these sovereignty operations that I mentioned. And just one, one slight uh, clarification, Arctic Rangers and Junior Rangers are uh, federally funded. Uh, there are park rangers, of course, you're right, who, who may have uh, provincial jurisdiction, but I'm talking about the Rangers who work within the Canadian Forces. They are a very special capability that bring all of their expertise, their ability to live on the land, their ability to survive in what you've properly described as very uh, uncomfortable circumstances, particularly this time of year. 
where it's pitch black and temperatures that plummet uh, into the minus 20s and 30s regularly. So we're, we're helping our soldiers to adapt to that environment, giving them the proper equipment, partnering with other government departments in the north, including natural resources, Indian and Northern Affairs, putting more resources in place. But it will take time. It is a vast, vast territory and unforgiving. And we have to make uh, the necessary preparations uh, to protect that land. As the Prime Minister said, we use it or lose it. There are water approaches now that are wide open and ports of call that were previously frozen that are now wide open. And so we have to have the ability to operate there and, uh, and to keep equipment there and to support those communities in a meaningful way. And that's exactly what we intend to do, I assure you. First of all, I want to thank you, everyone, and Canadian Club to acknowledge uh, Minister McKay's wonderful speech and also Korea veterans. This is a year of Korea veterans, and wonderful to uh, acknowledge many veterans, including Andy Barber, with us. And my question to you is, now we have, I'm actually currently serving South Korean president as a national advisor. Uh, I have a question to you and also Canadian first. We have North Korean nuclear weapon uh, threats. And what is the Canada uh, defense with the US? What is our strategy in this uh, serious threats? Well, first of all, let me, let me thank you for being such a, a fine representative. And uh, we did. Your, your absolutely correct, uh, have a number of commemorative events across the country and in South Korea, the Republic of Korea, uh, to commemorate Canada's contribution. 516 Canadians gave their lives uh, in that conflict, uh, a conflict that arguably never truly came to a close. And the armistice has been fragile and is ramping up uh, in terms of the rhetoric that we see coming from King Jong-il, uh, King Jong-un, uh, as we've seen under previous regimes in that country. Uh, the Americans, the Japanese, uh, the Chinese, those uh, who are stationed in the region, the countries that are neighboring North Korea, along with Canada, all of our allies have been calling on North Korea uh, to cease and desist the provocation. Uh, there are many, many sanctions in place, as you know already, many efforts diplomatically that have been made over the years. And uh, this will require very, very careful uh, deliberation and protection for those in the region. Um, we have had very close consultation and, uh, and briefings with all of our allies, uh, including and most importantly the United States of America. Uh, and the role that they're playing there is significant. Uh, but there has been no particular ask from the Canadian forces. Uh, we have a history there. Uh, we have capabilities, obviously. And uh, we will stand ready with our allies uh, to work collaboratively uh, to do all that we can to avoid any further conflict or provocation in that region. Thank you. Thank you. I call upon that Libby Burnham, past president of the Canadian Club, to uh, formally thank the minister. Thank you, Gordon. Um, as Gordon has said, I'm the past president and I'm an honorary life director of the Canadian Club of Toronto and in one of my other roles I'm Chancellor of Acadia University. So I have to put a plug in and we're very proud to have Peter 
as a graduate of our university, and we look forward to that young son coming along. <laughs> and we hope there'll be many more, Peter. Uh, so, but today, on behalf of the Canadian Club, I want to send our sincerest appreciation to you for coming and speaking with us today. As Gordon has said, this is your third uh, visit to our podium, and you have proven once again how powerful the combination of passion, which you've spoken about and demonstrated so clearly today, and purpose can be in propelling the Canadian Armed Forces forward. These are turbulent times, as we see in the United States, with the problems in Boston, and it's difficult to maintain a state of safety and security. Our armed forces have been able to perform their missions in exemplary fashion. We are a nation strong and free, thanks to the devotion of the ministry and the armed forces. As you and your staff set about maintaining our nation's military capabilities while building on the proud legacies of accomplishment at home and around the world, we will hold you close in our thoughts and give you our support. And I want to say a personal thanks to all the veterans and members of the military that are with us today. Thank you. Thank you, Libby. I'd like to echo uh, Libby's remarks and thank the minister once again for being here. Thank you for all that you do, and thank you for all that the entire uh, Canadian Armed Forces does to keep uh, Canadians safe and secure. This concludes our television programming, which will be broadcast in the days to come on Rogers TV. We are grateful to Rogers TV and 680 News for their continuing promotion of Canadian Club events. To learn more about the Canadian Club, please visit our website at www.canadianclub.org. Thank you again for joining us. This meeting is now adjourned. <laughs>